Um, morning all. Good to see you all. Um, if you're a visitor here this morning, you've, we've not met, then my name's James. I'm part of the leadership team here at New Life. Thanks so much, church family, for bringing contributions, prophetic words. Uh, we believe in a supernatural God who is a speaking God. He likes to speak to us, to encourage us and build us up and do us good. So when people are bringing those words, they're sensing something God's saying for all of us and, and sharing it, which has been a real encouragement. And as I speak, you'll hear that a lot of the things that people have been saying this morning link in with, with what I'm talking about uh, this morning. Uh, I wonder how you feel about Marmite. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a sure thing to divide a people, isn't it, Marmite? Who are the lovers of Marmite in the room? Well, I think we're, we're, we're heavy on the Marmite love. And who, who, who's with me that Marmite is just something that the world could do without? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, I wonder how you feel, feel about Halloween. Halloween's often one of those Marmite things, isn't it? And you either kind of love it as a festival you're, you're really enjoying, get, get into with your pumpkins and so on. Uh, or is it something you kind of hate, like Marmites, and you could just do uh, without it? Um, I don't know what you're um, like when it comes to things like horror, um, the gruesome, the creepy, the frightening, the spooky, the ghoulish, the macabre. Um, that could be kind of a Marmite thing, can't it? We either kind of love it or hate it. I remember, I'm not really a horror fan, to be honest. I, I can't really stand horror films. Um, but I managed once, well, one of my friends when I, when I was young ma- managed to persuade me that we should go and see a horror film. When we turned up at the cinema, we were hoping to see Terminator 2, and the only thing on was a horror film. And we, I was like, oh, that is not going to be fun. And, uh, but he managed to persuade me, and 10 minutes in, I said, mate, this is horrible. I'm <laughs> not enjoying it at all. And uh, we went and watched the second half of Terminator 2. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I, I wonder what you're like when it comes to things like horror. Is it something uh, you just dislike, or um, what are the? Um, is it something you, you're, you're scared of or you have a fear of? Um, whilst Halloween isn't my favourite, and I don't love horror films, I've still found that there's something in the celebration of uh, Halloween or the festival of Halloween that has some value, and that's what we're going to explore this morning: is the history of Halloween. Uh, what it's got to do with fear, and how it can help us to live without fear. I wonder what the topic of fear kind of brings up. Maybe you, you came this morning, you got given a flyer that had no fear, living life without fear. wonder what that kind of drags up for you. Is it the kind of typical fears of snakes and spiders or the dark or small spaces? I was uh, visiting my brother in Doncaster a number of years ago and we've gone to the church and gone around a friend of his for, for lunch and it turned out they had a snake and I was like oh that's, that's interesting <laughs> uh, would you like to see it no, not really <laughs> no I'll just get it oh <laughs> so this lady darts out the room comes in with this huge snake wrapped around her neck so it's just you know he's harmless doesn't bite. Okay. <laughs> reassuring. Well, I wasn't very well reassured, and to be honest, um, it was one of those moments where I didn't know them, and I was around their house, they're being hospitable, giving me lunch, 
Um, but I was really quite direct with her at one point. I really don't like snakes. Please don't bring it near me. <laughs> I wonder if that's what you think of when you think of fears. Um, and whilst I don't particularly like um, snakes and I don't particularly enjoy horror films either, there's been fears that I've experienced that run a lot deeper than just being scared of a, a snake that's uh, unwelcome at lunchtime. Um, <coughs> I realized many years ago, as a young, young man, and I shared this with the church before, that I had a fear of um, loneliness, which I've learned is called monophobia. Um, a sense of um, just not wanting to be alone, not in, not in my own company, um, and not, not, in, not being able to enjoy my own company or being able to sit still in my own head or spend time uh, by myself. I wonder what your fears are. Maybe it's being unnoticed or ignored, insignificant to other people. Maybe it's becoming obsolete, no use to others. Perhaps it's conflict in your family, relationships that are breaking down, uh, where there's tension. Uh, maybe it's the disapproval of others and their disappointment. Whatever it might be, we've all got fears, haven't we, that lie beneath the surface, that run very deep, um, that are kind of lurking there in the background. And these fears are often uh, have this sense of conflict. Uh, when, you, um, uh, when you watch these films about the big battles between good and evil, fear is kind of expressed as this kind of conflict, isn't it, between good and evil, light and dark. Um, We've got a son, he was in this morning, dancing on my head, um, who's got a, the typical fear of fear of the dark at the minute. He's just started saying, Daddy, come on, can we go to sleep with the light on? And turn the light on. Because there's a battle, there's, he knows that there's a battle between the kind of, you know, the fear of the darkness. He knows that the light will overcome it. He knows that in that war, the light will overcome the dark. Um, and that he'll feel okay, and he'll be able to go to sleep peacefully, and that when Daddy walks out the room, he'll switch the light off anyway. Um, and fear is often expressed as that kind of battle between light and dark. Um, the Bible describes Jesus as the light of the world, and it also talks about how he has an enemy, um, that there's this battle going on in the world between light, Jesus, and darkness, and when it talks about the darkness, it talks about a, uh, an actual enemy, a spiritual power, which you might have heard of called the devil, um, that Jesus has an enemy, and there's this battle going on against Jesus to bring darkness, to bring fear, to hold people captive to those fears that run deep in them. Because fear can trap us, it can confine us, can make life feel very small, can make you feel kind of confined, make us feel captive, enslaved, as that song was saying. It can make us feel even opp oppressed. Uh, we often think of ourselves, don't we, as being kind of free to make decisions, decide what we want to do. But actually, in this way, fears can dictate our behavior. They can stop us from being really free. They can decide for us... Um, what we do and what we don't do help us make decisions. They can dictate the feelings we own, the kind of way we live our lives. 
Fears can make us feel hopeless. They can leave us with a complete sense of despair. Like I couldn't live life if this, I, can, I couldn't live life on my own. Couldn't, couldn't live without people's company for the evening. And they lie beneath the surface. They perniciously affect the whole of our lives, often without us really being fully aware of them and being kind of oblivious to them. I was oblivious to the fear of loneliness, to be honest. I lived with it for years without even really noticing. And it had an effect on my life that I wasn't really aware of. I kind of, looking back now, I could see obviously where it came from. I was bullied when I was at school and felt very alone during my teenage years, wandering the playground with not friends to hang out with, go and spend time with my brother and his mates who would play football because they'd let me play. And I became aware later on. I had this fear of loneliness because of experiences in my childhood. And that's often the case. There's things in our past that kind of rumble away slowly under the surface and we become not so aware of them, oblivious to them, but they affect our lives in deep ways. They affected my life in lots of ways that were apparently good and you could have pointed to as being very good things. Um, I had a full diary because I was um, serving at church um, volunteering, I was spending time, good quality time with friends and things like that. I uh, visited my parents, really to fill the gaps in the days. <laughs> uh, I'd rest and holiday with friends, but many of them were negative as well. I'd dream of the intimacy of marriage, I'd flirt with relationships I wasn't really committed to. Um, I would run away from useful time to reflect on life and to think to myself, I wonder how fear affects your life. The kind of things that run deep. The things that apparent probably could be very good, but are kind of motivated by the wrong thing because you're running away from something. I wonder um, if there's things that are negative in your life and they're kind of being driven because actually you're scared of something that runs deep in your life. So maybe if we're feeling unnoticed or ignored, we seek attention from other people. I remember um, I was teaching a student and she was the most attention-seeking student I've ever taught. And it was really sad because she was also really explicit regularly about how her dad had left her when she was young. And she felt totally rejected. And so she sought attention and approval constantly during a lesson <laughs> to the interference of the actual lesson going on. Um, Maybe it's becoming obsolete, and so we busybody. Maybe it's conflict in family, so we work overtime to keep people happy. Or uh, disapproval of others, we're fearful of that. And so we do things regardless of whether we really approve of them. Even maybe they're against our conscience or against our likes and preferences, but we think people will appreciate or like us because of it. So what's underlying all of these kind of minion fears, as it were, in life that we can experience? What's the greatest fear? What's the chief fear which has a hold on all of us? What's our greatest fear, our greatest enemy? What's the worst that could happen to us? And it's death. One writer says that the fear of death is practically universal. The Duke of Wellington said this, that man must be a coward or a liar who could boast of never having felt a fear of death. And the Bible talks about how the devil has, holds the power of death. It's something that kind of looms over us. It's always kind of hanging there. 
It's a, the universal statistic. We all are going to meet death one day. It's the one that we can't escape. And all, all fears are subject to this larger fear. What if I die alone? What if I die unnoticed, having not really made a difference? What if I die dishonored or disliked? What if I die obsolete? So death can hold us captive because none of us can escape it. And why is this? Well, the, the Bible talks about how this, that sin is the sting of death because it leads to judgment by God for the wrongs that we've done in our life, that we've all done something wrong or there's things that we should have done that we haven't, lines we've crossed, things we're ashamed of, things we look back on and regret. And the death, uh, sin is the uh, sting of death. Uh, and that leads us to being judged by God for the things that we've done wrong. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That because we've done wrong, death holds us captive. Um, the band are going to come up and uh, sing a, a song to us. Uh, and then we're going to watch a video. And I'm going to come back and do the second half of the talk and think about how um, trusting in Jesus can mean that we no longer need to have fear of death and the, the fears that we, uh, we've been talking about this morning. So what's this fear of death and its minion fears, if you like, got even got to do with Halloween? Well, Halloween was um, a celebration um, that began around 998 AD. Um, All Hallows' Eve was the night before All Saints' Day or All Hallows' Day. And it was a celebration of trusting those who, a celebration that those who trust in Jesus would uh, not have to fear death anymore because Jesus had died and risen again, defeated death. And it was a celebration of Jesus' death on the cross that we need have no fear of death or of darkness or anything else. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I struggle to hold, uh, keep up with spoken words sometimes and try and understand what they say. So what does, uh, what's he saying there? What does Jesus' death on a cross 2,000 years ago have to do with victory over death, over evil and darkness? What hope does it offer us today for the fears that we face? I've just spent <laughs> 10, 15 minutes going, fear, fear, fear. But what's, what's the hope and what does it have to do with uh, Jesus and his death on the cross I'm going to have a look at a passage which is in the Bible. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Feel free to turn there if you've got a Bible. If you don't, don't worry. It'll hopefully come up on the screen in a minute. Um, Paul, um, who is one of the early Christians, was writing a letter to a church in Colossae. Um, it's in modern-day Turkey. And he's uh, writing about how Jesus has overcome death and overcome evil. So it's in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Um, And this is how it reads. He, Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What's that uh, passage? Oh, Fab, thanks. Uh, What's that passage 
saying, well, it's can I borrow somebody's pen? Is that right? It's, a, it's imagining that um, there's a record of all the things that we've done wrong. That uh, as I went through life, if I were even aware of all the things I did wrong, just been writing them down. Uh, snapped at my kids, unloving towards my wife, kicked my sister, <laughs> whatever it might be. But there's a kind of, if you like, you know, you see those films where um, the policeman kind of hounds the culprit into admitting and confessing to his crime and gets them to write out a written confession that they're going to use in court and say, look, he confessed to it. These are his crimes. He, he admitted to doing it. But when it's talking about the charge of our legal indebtedness, it's talking about that kind of record, a signed confession that would be used in court against, sorry, I've nicked your penny, Alan, that would be used in court um, before the Father, before God, a record of the things that we've done wrong, a record of the lines we've crossed, the things we haven't done that we should have, the things that we have done that we shouldn't have done, the, the ways we haven't loved others, uh, loved our families, the way we've made lives about us, uh, made us the center of them. So what it says is that this record of the things that we've done wrong has been torn up, cancelled. The debt, the signed confession has been ripped up and done away with. How's that happen? Well, the slate has been wiped clean. Um, when Jesus was crucified up on the cross... Uh, above him was a tablet called a titulus, and it had written on it his crimes. And some people say it had written on it our crimes, sins of the world. Um, and what's happened is it's been wiped clean. The, the tablet with all of the things written on it that we've done wrong has been wiped completely clean. The slate has been done away with. And the third thing this passage says is that it's been taken away and nailed to the cross. The document itself, with all the things that we've done wrong, all our sin was pinned up on the cross and destroyed there. Our sin was destroyed by the death of Jesus. It was pinned there with him and nailed to the cross and has died with Jesus. See, the sting of death is sin, but if we trust in Jesus, our sin is no longer alive. It's been put to death on the cross of Jesus. It's no longer on us. It's no longer our record. It's been cancelled out. It's his record. And it's been put to death there on the cross. It's on Jesus and it dies with him. And without this, um, without trusting in Jesus, without our sin dying on the cross, it's still ours. We still own it. It's still holding us captive to death. But if we trust in Jesus, rather than being haunted by the fear of death and fear of anything else, its minion fears if you like, we can actually taunt and mock death, which has lost its power. One Bible writer says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law, what we should have done. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' victory on the cross means freedom from sin. 
Freedom from the sting of death and therefore freedom from judgment are the things that we've done wrong because the record of them has been cancelled, it's been torn up, it's been wiped clean, it's been nailed to the cross and died with Jesus. And for those who trust in Jesus, death is now a trivial event. It's a trivial event. It's something that no longer has power over us. It's an event we will simply live through and therefore we have no need to fear death. His victory on the cross doesn't just mean we don't have to fear death. It means we don't have to fear evil and darkness and anything else either. Have a look at this, verse 15. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And what it's describing is that evil, the the devil himself uh, and his spiritual power, has been stripped of him. He's got no weaponry anymore. He's like a man who's gone to war without a gun. He's got no weaponry. He's got nothing to fight with any longer because the worst he can do is kill us. And that now means nothing. Evil has nothing to fight with because death no longer has a hold on us if we trust in Jesus. It means Jesus has made a spectacle of evil powers. On the cross, he's showing that evil no longer has any power whatsoever to do anything to someone who trusts in Jesus because the worst it can do is kill them. And that's really a trivial event anymore. Um, the third thing is that Jesus has triumphed. It's imagining a scene you know, in films, um, if, you, if you're a fan of war films, um, riding force kind of comes on in, wins victory in the town, and the prisoners of war that have been kept in that town are set free. And those who had previously imprisoned them are tied up uh, and taken captive themselves. And you might have seen those war films where people come out of their houses and they're cheering and celebrating and waving flags as these prisoners of war, these captives, are set free. And they're celebrating. Paul is imagining a similar scene here with Jesus' death on the cross. Crowds of, uh, of the heavens, I guess, applauding and celebrating the freedom of those who trust in Jesus free from the fear of death, free from fear altogether. One writer says it's the victor stripping his foes of arms and ornaments and dress and then parading them as his captives and then dragging them at the wheels of his triumphal car. By liberating us from sin, Jesus has also liberated us from evil. Freeing us from sin, he's freed us from the power of of evil and the fear it might bring. And now we're free to live without fear because death and evil have lost their power and we have nothing to fear if we trust in him. You might be sitting there and thinking, James, this is all all fair and good. Um, But why is it that if Jesus died and defeated death and defeated evil, why is it that people still die? Why is it that evil is still prevalent? Why is it that my loved one last week passed away? Why is it that the things I'm fearful of still appear to surround me? It's because the devil is defeated, but he's not conceded yet. 
The devil's been overthrown, but he's not yet been eliminated. A bit of a story to illustrate. You might have heard this story before. It's of Hiru Onoda, at uh, the end of Second World War. His orders were clear. He's a part of the Japanese army. He was to protect the Philippine island of Lubang from enemy attack and not to surrender under any circumstances. He followed these orders diligently and was still doing so 29 years after World War II ended. Onoda and three other soldiers survived and refused to surrender to an allied occupation of the island beginning in 1945, and they hid in the mountains for the next three decades, engaging in guerrilla activities with local officials. Immediately after the war's conclusion, and again in 1952, leaflets were airdropped over the mountains to let Anoda's men know that the war was over. But they concluded that the news was an allied trick and refused to capitulate. In 1974, after Anoda's three comrades had either surrendered or been killed, and Anoda himself, presumed dead, a Japanese college student was backpacking through the area and discovered Anoda. Still sceptical and loyal to his orders, Onoda refused to surrender until his former commanding officer issued the command. Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, who was currently working as a bookseller, flew to the Philippines and relieved him of duty. And that's the situation the devil is in. He's defeated, but he's not conceded. He's overthrown, but he's not eliminated. Victory's been sealed, but he's refusing to give up and acknowledge that defeat has come. He's throwing one last tantrum, as it were, before he's finally destroyed. So evil's not ceased, but its power has been broken. Death still goes on, but its power has been broken. It's still unpleasant death. It's undignified. It's unnatural. It's unpleasant. It's an enemy to us, but it's a defeated enemy. We know this because Jesus' victory has been endorsed, proclaimed, and demonstrated in his resurrection from the dead. Jesus said this in uh, a book in the Bible called John. Um, he was recording some of the things Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I wonder if you're sceptical about the evidence of the resurrection. There's some great books that have been written about the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, one called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. There's another book, which is a bit broader, but covers that theme called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Uh, do come and ask me about them afterwards. I've actually got copies of both if you'd like to borrow one to read about the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So through Jesus' death and resurrection, death and evil have not ceased, but their power is broken. And we experience this still as Christians. That I still feel tempted to feel lonely. But now I know I can call the devil's bluff. I can call evil's bluff because I know Jesus is alive. I know he's promised to always be with me. And the truth is that he is. He's always there with me. And so I have no need to fear loneliness. So whether you fear loneliness, disapproval, being ignored or unnoticed, being obsolete, 
whatever, or disapproval, whatever it might be, if you trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, you can know that evil's show of power is just a bluff. Multiple times Jesus says to his followers, do not be afraid. Because trusting in him, we need not be afraid of death or evil anymore because Jesus has overcome it. Um, If the band want to come up, we're going to look at how to respond to this. (coughs) On All Hallows' Eve, festivities developed... Um, such that children, you might recognize this, would get dressed up in spooky outfits um, and they would celebrate and dance in triumph, mocking death and evil because Jesus has the victory through his death and resurrection. Uh, And so nowadays it's transformed so that children in spooky costumes come and knock on your door and either egg it or you give them some sweets. But really, originally... It was a, a, a celebration before All Saints Day, before All Hallows Day, when the children would celebrate and dance and triumph in Jesus' victory over death and fear and evil um, by the cross and his resurrection. They, they were doing exactly what the Bible um, was, uh, writer was saying when he said, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory? O death, where's your sting? Thanks be to God who gave us the victory through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He says, do you believe this? Because if you do believe this, then you too like those children in medieval times, can dance, can celebrate, can rejoice, can triumph, because Jesus' victory over death and all its minions, over all of evil, over all of darkness, over all fear, is yours too. And you have nothing to fear anymore. Trusting in Jesus without fear in death, You're free to live life without fear. And the what-ifs, what if I die alone? What if I die unnoticed? What if I die obsolete? What if I die disapproved of? Become even-ifs. Even if I die alone, I'll be with Jesus for eternity. Even if I die unnoticed, Jesus will see me face to face and notice me and know me wholly. Even if I die dishonored and disliked, in Jesus, when in heaven, God will not judge me. He will see me just as he sees Jesus, perfect. Even if I die obsolete and of no use, in Jesus' kingdom forever, I will have a good work to do. Whatever your fear is, it can be turned from a what if to an even if, if you trust in Jesus and have no fear. So how can we respond to this? Well, the way we respond to this is first to acknowledge that there is a signed confession to be torn up. But first, you've got to sign the confession. You've got to acknowledge, these are the things I've done wrong. I've made myself the center of my life. I have lived life my own way. I have done things I shouldn't have. There are things I should have that I haven't done. 
and acknowledge them, sign the confession, and then thank Jesus that he has nailed it to the cross, that it's been cancelled, been torn up, been wiped clean, and is no longer yours, but has been put to death on the cross of Jesus. And that because of his death and his resurrection, you can celebrate and triumph and dance now and rejoice that you have victory in Jesus over death and over all of evil. I'm just going to pray a prayer now. If you have never really trusted Jesus with your life, um, this prayer doesn't really make you a Christian, but perhaps it kind of chimes with what's going on in your heart and, and what you want to do. So maybe pray along with me in your heart uh, and think about trusting your life with Jesus and decide to trust him and no longer fear. Father God, uh, acknowledge that um, there are things I've done wrong. I haven't lived life even as I expect to live. There are things I've done wrong, things I haven't done that I should have done. Um, Thank you, Jesus, that you have nailed my sin, the things I've done wrong, to the cross and put them to death. Thank you that through you I have victory over death and over evil. Thank you that because you've resurrected to life, I too will get to resurrect to life and live eternity with you. And I ask for your help now, Lord, the fears that go on underneath that are perniciously affecting and invading my life, that make me feel trapped, that make me feel enslaved, oppressed even. Jesus, would you help me um, overcome them, to live free of those fears and understand your victory on the cross was final and complete and the devil is just throwing a wobbly and I have no need to fear. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Should we stand? We're going to continue to worship, sing a couple of songs that will help us to celebrate and triumph in the victory that Jesus won on the cross for us.